Welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast, where we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring quality professionals within the healthcare industry. Our podcast will dive into the career journeys of leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. And now, your host, Jarvis Gray. Hello, quality people, healthcare leaders, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, with the Quality Coaching Company, and welcome to episode number 12 of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And before all else in today's show, first, let me give a huge shout out and show of appreciation to all of our nurses, nursing leaders, and even nurses in training here in the U.S. and throughout the world. Thank you. Thanks for your dedication to serving those that need you the most and for the time that you commit away from the bedside when quality people like me and others pull you away to work on improvement projects. Thank you for all that you do, and while you deserve it every week of the year, I truly hope that you receive sincere celebrations with your teams throughout this week. Now, to match the awesomeness of this year's 2019 Nurse Appreciation Week, I am honored to introduce one of the most prolific nursing quality leaders that I've personally encountered in my career path, Nancy Curdy. Nancy is the past president of the National Association for Healthcare Quality and former director for patient safety at Piedmont Healthcare in Atlanta, Georgia. Nancy is a nurse with strong clinical background, having practiced for 27 years in a busy community hospital ICU, both as staff and certified clinical nurse specialist and nurse practitioner. Nancy has devoted the last 15 years of her career to healthcare quality and patient safety, attaining certifications in both and earning a master's degree in healthcare quality and patient safety from Northwestern University. Here in episode number 12, you'll learn the many ins and outs of Nancy's extensive healthcare career. Her passions and motivations for improving healthcare are just the beginning. Nancy shares her focus around being a lifetime learner, the progression of her career through movements like TQM and quality circles into today's high reliability, a role with NACU and their industry-leading work to define and standardize the role of healthcare quality professionals, making personal connections with improvement project stakeholders, the power of culture as the foundation for all of the healthcare quality improvement work that we do, and that's just the first half of this episode. I hope that you enjoy episode number 12 and that my conversation with Nancy adds value to your day. And also, if you're not familiar with the National Association for Healthcare Quality or NACU, then I would highly, highly, highly recommend checking them out at www.nahq.org. But specifically as quality people, check out their new groundbreaking quality workforce report just released back on May the 2nd of 2019. This new framework is an absolute game changer and needs to be on your radar. You heard it here first, and now I invite you to hear from Nancy. All right, so Nancy, are you ready to share with some quality people? Oh, absolutely. My, my pleasure to do so. 
Wonderful. Well, Nancy, I, I was just hyping it up in our pre-show conversation, but thank you. Thank you so much um, for plugging in. Your background is amazing and the perfect fit for this show, but just the short time that I've gotten to know you over the past few weeks, um, I, I'm excited to, to learn everything that we're going to learn about you in today's show. So thank you once more. Oh, good. Thank you. So, Nancy, we love to start each show with some positive affirmations to really get our momentum going for our show. And I would love if you'd share your favorite quote or your favorite mindset, but also share with our quality people, how do you apply it on a daily basis? Sure, I'd be glad to. I actually um, was given this quote on a plaque from a uh, an engineering intern that was working in our uh, quality department. And I so treasure it and use it to this day. I'll share that with you. It's the, a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. That's, I'm sure many of your listeners have heard this uh, by Lao Tzu. And, and this, is the, this is the life of a healthcare quality professional. You have to have this mindset. Otherwise, you'll lose your mind. You get frustrated. So you have to know that every initiative, every project you manage, every improvement you're trying to to uh, put in place and, and show data for, every piece of data, uh, every person you come in contact with, et cetera, et cetera, each of those is a step. And you have to view it that way with the end in mind, of course. You've got to know your target. You've got to know your outcome you're looking towards. But if you shoot straight to there and don't appreciate the single steps it takes to get there, you're going to be very, very frustrated. So you have to look at your life as a, a healthcare quality professional in that, in that guise, as a, uh, a long journey, a marathon, if you will, I've heard some people say, and it begins with a single step, and that's very powerful. So that's, that's uh, I incorporate that to, to keep my sanity and to keep me motivated and moving forward. That's wonderful, and I, I love it because I would agree. I think as quality people, we always connect everything we do to this journey mindset. You see it with things like magnet. It's the magnet journey, a Baldrige, the Baldrige journey, and I think that's just an innate mindset for us. So I love that mindset, and I love that you shared it. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So, Nancy, if you could please share with us your introduction to quality, what led you into the career path, and how did you get started? And I just want to, again, give the backdrop for our listeners as they plug into this show with you because, uh, Nancy, I've been blown away again since we connected just a few weeks ago with your amazing background um, and the stories that you share with me already. So I would love for you to just take a moment and give us that. And then if you could also take a few moments and share with us some of your certifications, because I, I thought I came to the game with a lot of certifications, but <laughs> uh, Nancy, my friend, you, you have me in awe at the things that you've achieved on a, prefer, a professional development standpoint. Well, thanks. Um, so interesting. I've, I've uh, had a 40-plus year career, and when I started in healthcare. Uh, I'm a nurse, and I began as a nurse. I had every intention when I got out of undergrad school to never darken the doors of school again. I was ready to earn money, take care of my patients, enjoy that, enjoy life, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I, became, I, I began an ICU, uh, a very busy uh, general ICU in a community-based hospital, and um, 
I had a very visionary leader. She um, got me tagged in along with some of my colleagues into something called quality circles. Now that's early eighties. That's, that's early quality. Some of your listeners may um, have had experience with that, but I don't know. And, and basically it was performance improvement around problems that we had in our unit. So that rings true still today. When you have effective uh, improvement activities, you always involve that sharp end of care because they are the subject matter experts. They know the problems and often they know the solutions. So if you're going to have an effective quality improvement, performance improvement effort, that's what you should do. So quality circles, I think of those quality circles in that vein. And um, my leader also began shared governance in my ICU. So we had a quality council. We had a procedure council, um, those sorts of activities that were run by, there was a leader in each, but uh, the, the members were staff members. So I was involved in those as well. So I got the quality bug in that, in that scenario, although I was I was still an ICU nurse practicing at the bedside, um, and then I had an opportunity. Now this was after um, several decades working in this ICU, both as a staff member and uh, later as an advanced practice nurse, to um, move to our quality department. I never dreamed that I would do that. I thought I had the dream job. I did have the dream job. But this really interested me because I love data and I was very frustrated in my role thinking, gosh, I don't, I don't have time to collect data, to do research, to, to um, put in place the things that I know can help our patients and our staff. So I saw this opportunity to move into quality as a way to help my, my unit, my staff and patients sort of from the backside, you might say. I'll have time to collect the data. I'll have time to make sure that it's meaningful in its presentation and, and that sort of thing. So that's how I started in quality. And that was about um, actual quality, the actual quality department. And that was probably about, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, something like that. Um, my title was actually clinical nurse specialist of quality. I did a lot of education. That's when core measures were so predominant. And I brought subject matter expertise to the table to improve those and put improvement uh, aspects into place and, and did a lot of teaching. So I became experienced as well in um, the science of that patient safety. And, of course, we know, we all know about the 1999 study to Ares Human that came out that really shook us up in terms of we've got to do something about this. How do we do it? So I was really pleased to, to work in those efforts uh, in my facilities towards um, towards moving us closer to a, a higher reliability uh, scenario, which makes our patients safer, which makes our staff more engaged, et cetera. So that was sort of a circuitous route to, uh, to quality. Um, uh, you talked about certifications. I've always been a lifelong learner. I've always believed in... Uh, tagging into the professional associations that support um, your role in, in your career, as well as any certifications. Certifications are a, a mechanism to validate that body of knowledge that you have. 
So it's good for you. It's good for your colleagues to know, uh, you know, there's a standardized body of knowledge that this person's practicing within. And then also for your patients and, and other colleagues that you work with. So I did, uh, my first certification was when I was a staff nurse. I became a certified critical care nurse, CCRN, probably the hardest exam I've ever taken in my life. And I was so proud to attain that. And I was so sad when I had to let it go because I was not, I did not have the practice hours to support uh, maintaining it. Um, I did mention I went back, uh, maybe I didn't, but I went, went back kind of, Midway through my stint in ICU to graduate school, I became a, a certified critical care clinical nurse specialist and an adult nurse practitioner. So I still practiced in my unit. Um, again, had the dream job. I loved it. I had an outpatient heart failure clinic that I um, that I stood up, and uh, so I saw the walking wounded as well as the sickest of the sick and everything in between. So. That was sort of my precursor to quality, I guess you might say. And then when I went to quality, I followed through with getting active in my professional association, the National Association for Healthcare Quality, NACU, and uh, attained certification there. That, that This is the only accredited certification for the healthcare quality professional, which is CPHQ, uh, and this is through NACU. And... Um, I told you my interest in patient safety, so I also certified uh, in patient safety. I'm, I'm sort of a certification nerd. I want to make sure I, I know what I'm doing, I know what I'm talking about, and I, I know where I need to spend further study so that I can um, attain that expertise. That was a long, that was a long story. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I think it highlights such a long and, and very successful career, but we had on one of our previous shows um, a gentleman uh, Mr. Charles DeBusk, and very similar in terms of just a very long, successful quality improvement, healthcare quality improvement career. But he has uh, one of his favorite sayings during our interview there was, be the expert, and, and very much urging quality professionals to be the expert. That's, you know, the value that we're bringing to our teams. And that's why I really wanted you to share the depth of your background, because, uh, again, just having the chance to, to have some early conversations with you, but then to, to understand your entire journey from, you know, bedside nurse to quality leader to leaders within your, your professional organizations. All I hear is a quality person who just grabbed the reins and said, I want to be the expert. I want to advocate for my profession and, you know, just really make sure that we bring the best health care to our patients, to our communities. So uh, I appreciate you sharing in depth everything that, that you just shared there. Next question that I have for you, Nancy, I would love for you to take us on a journey to a point in your career that may have actually been one of the worst moments as a healthcare quality leader, but really give us the in-depth story behind the situation and share with us maybe some of the decisions that you were going through to turn that moment around. Sure. I, you know, when, you, when I saw this question, the word worst sort of stunned me for a moment because I honestly, I cannot think of a millisecond in my career that was I would put I would use that term to describe it. Uh, it. You know, I've certainly had sad moments, uh, hard moments, frustrating moments, angry moments. You know, the gamut of emotions. But I never would put worst on it. Um, 
because every every opportunity everything is an opportunity to learn to do something differently to have it to make it right the next time whatever and um i usually don't hold those things in my head i bad things usually don't stay in my head but i did think about this a moment i did come up with one so there's a so there's a is a worse moment but then there's a good end to the story so the story is um i had an opportunity um Many of your listeners may be familiar with uh, the IHI um, 100,000 Lives campaign back in, gosh, when was that? Mid-90s, early 90s, something like that. And some of the, and, and then the campaign that came after, one of those interventions was that each hospital should have a rapid response team. And this is a team of uh, um, experts such as respiratory therapy, ICU nurses, perhaps a physician. Each team may look a little different. Um, able to be summoned to come to the bedside of a non-ICU patient, generally a med surge type patient, when they're showing signs of early compromise so that we can hopefully um, save that patient from going into a cardiac arrest situation and hopefully keep them out of ICU and um, recognize early sepsis, those sorts of things. So I was um, very, very uh, pleased to be able to help uh, facilitate at the hospital where I practiced at the time their rapid response team. I was very excited about that. So that was a good thing. So in the next few years, um, I became aware of a uh, a tool to use that would even up the game here, that would help us recognize uh, compromise, early compromise in a patient even earlier um, that was always sort of a trick. How do we how do we how do we save that patient before they really are past sort of a point of no return? And this was called the Muse M E W S. It's a um, uh, it's, it's a modified early warning scoring. So it's taking um, vital signs, level of consciousness, oxygenation, that sort of thing together as a composite score, and then there are actions to do with that score. Um, this is when you call the rapid response team. This is when you notify the physician. This one, this is may, maybe when you start monitoring the patient more closely, that sort of thing. So it gives the, the staff good direction on how, what do they do next with this patient that's starting to inch towards the edge, you might say. I was so excited about that. I mean, that was nirvana as far as I was concerned as a, as, as a critical care nurse at heart, um, and then as a uh, quality and safety professional, I went, oh, my gosh, this is like, this is this is the stuff, right? So I said, this, this will be something awesome for us to introduce to staff. We weren't able at that time to electronically um, to uh, add this into the record, but I thought at least they can start using it as their tool at the bedside. So I... Um, used a little pilot group. I went through it to see how it worked with the, the staff nurse. They all loved it. They they perceived it pretty much like I did. Oh, yeah, we've, we've needed something like this. This is awesome. Now, this was a validated tool, so this wasn't anything I had made up. I, I reinvent very few wheels, I will tell you that. So I this was vetted with my upline, my VP, and I went, okay, let's let's do it. So I presented this. Um, at a, a large leadership forum uh, with physicians, leaders, uh, 
uh, clinical leaders, et cetera. And I thought everything was hunky-dory. So where the worst part comes in is that we had a new chief nurse. And while I thought my upline had vetted that with with my new chief nurse, um, it turns out that 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 had not happened. They pretty much put the squash on it. And I remember thinking, I guess I have sort of a Pollyanna view um, of leadership. I I think that they function as um, they want they want the best things to happen all the time. And and I know now that not from malice, but but it doesn't always turn out that way. I'm sure we've all had that experience. And I know now uh, from other experiences that I neglected to make that eyeball to eyeball discussion and relationship with that new chief nurse to talk her through it, to get her read on it, to help her get to her intrinsic motivation, to help her see the value, to see where if she has any additional ideas, that kind of thing. I did not do that work. And as a result, it fell flat on its face. Um, so that's that's the worst part. Um, I've never had something that I felt so strongly about that could save patients' lives fall flat on its face. But this did. Uh, I ended up going on to other projects. In fact, I ended up, after a while, I I took a leadership position at another hospital for a while, a couple of years. I came back to this same hospital, and I'd say it's probably maybe five, six years later that I reintroduced it. Our uh, electronic medical record had taken a Lots of you know steps forward. Our our informatics and and uh, coding teams had taken large steps forward, and I got the yes everywhere I turned. Yeah, we can we can. Uh, they were able to uh, automatically uh, the Muse score would pop up when vital signs were entered. Uh, it also alerted at the nurses station, so anybody in the nurses station would be able to see a patient and possible early compromise. It also showed up on the hospitalist worksheet so they could uh, triage making rounds on those patients with the highest MU scores first. So lots of, uh, lots of goody happened uh, when I reintroduced the concept. So back to the single step, got to be patient, and that's not always one of my best virtues. So um, when we looked at this after a year, we'd actually uh, achieved a 23% reduction in mortality, which is uber significant. And to getting to the real granular pieces, we had a 45% decrease in out-of-ICU cardiac arrest. So both of those outcomes let me know that, um, you know, this was nirvana. We're totally on the right track with this. And uh, I just had to wait to introduce it to when it was the right time, I think. We did have some different leadership in place, uh, and I did approach it differently. So I learned a lot from that. Um, but that I, I'd say that was my worst. It was sort of a, a, a wake-up point um, that, that everything's not smooth sailing just because it's a, a, you know, a good idea. Uh, and you sometimes have to work your way around it. Uh, a little bit and make sure you're 
you're getting to the right people, making those relationships, getting to those stakeholders, seeing what they want to add to the process, um, because they're often going to have the right ideas. So um, that was my worst moment, but it was also, it ended up being several years later, I'd say one of the the highlights um, of what I I was able to help facilitate uh, to save patients' lives. And and also it was a, a... a satisfier that staff knew that they sort of had a safety net of how can we keep this patient from getting sicker. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I, I find that story pretty interesting. Uh, three key things that I took away as I, as I listened to you share that. Um, one is that it, it may have been part um, just simply getting the right levels of leadership buy-in with your with your quality improvement idea there. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it was uh, one part potentially stakeholder management. Like you said, you never had that that face-to-face, eyes-on conversation with one of your key stakeholders who clearly had mm-hmm. the power to make or break the rest of that project at that time. And, mm-hmm. and then potentially even um, one part just simply being ahead of your time. Because uh, as you shared, you know, when you came back a few years later, then you also had the right infrastructure in place to to potentially have made it, that implementation a lot better. And then it clearly produced the right results with uh, the improvements that you had towards mortality. So uh, I guess yeah. my add-on question for you then, Nancy, is, you know, had you ever reflected in those moments during that, that time with that project like, oh, if I could just go back and do it over again. What what were some of those feelings? And if you could have done it over again, um, any very just clear cut, like I would have done A, B, and C things to have oh, yeah. gotten this project put in the first time? Oh, yeah. And I, I believe me, I always debrief with myself to, to see what, what did I do well, what could I have done better, and how am I going to do it better next time? So, yeah, I would have – I wouldn't have um, – I would have personally myself made that connection uh, with the chief nurse because it's her folks that are uh, going to be using this tool. And I would have myself uh, reviewed it with her, gotten her ideas, um, her her concerns, uh, that sort of thing. And um, so that I could address them directly. Plus, developing that trust relationship. So she knows me, knows where I'm coming from, what is my intent. Uh, I'm not just there to pour a bunch of work on her nurses, you know, that sort of thing. So um, all of those things are what I would have done differently, made that relationship, made that personal contact, um, reviewed the, the issues with her, gotten her feedback, integrated her feedback, that sort of thing. All right, wonderful. Uh, I hate to to help you to you know have you dr- dwell up all those feelings, but I think you said it perfectly. You know, with being a quality healthcare patient safety leader, sometimes it can be very emotional. Um, you know, we we tend to get very well embedded within the processes. That question is really just to help us identify that we have our wins and our losses. Um, for the show's purposes, I try to get the losses out of the way first. They always lead yeah. to great <laughs> learnings. It's, it's just simply part of that journey. Um, oh, yeah. But I'd love to move us to a more productive course so we can see more of the cool things that there are behind quality improvement. But, uh, Nancy, I, I would love to quality people. Uh, one, 
tip or a tool or a tactic that you found works really well for building up those intimate connections within project teams, um, share with us, you know, what is it and how do you apply it? Well, we've, we touched on it in the last story. I think uh, making that relationship, and that means eye to eye. Um, you know, there are many times I've driven 45 miles for a 15-minute meeting. Uh, not that I couldn't have done it on the phone or through a WebEx, that sort of thing, but I really felt it was critical for me to connect with a human-to-human connection in order to to start building um, that relationship. And, and relationship not only of, um, you know, I, I, you can consider me the subject matter expert, I'm here to help you, that sort of thing, but also that we have um, – so that connection is critical. Find that common ground um, so that you trust each other and you trust that um, you, have the, you have the same intent that you won't always agree, but you will trust one another and you'll uh, work, work through it in order to get to the, to the, uh, the target. So that's probably the best. Uh, tip, tool, or tactic that I could share is there is no substitution uh, for making that relationship and that uh, that eye contact and finding that common ground in order to move forward in a project. Well, perfect. Well, let me add on to that question just a little bit. Um, and I wanted to get your quick thoughts again, you know, just kind of uh, uh, going off script just a little bit for you, Nancy. But with mm-hmm. Your with your comment about just developing that relationship, would you have, you know, what are one or two really good tactics to developing trust, developing those communications? Are there any tools or is it just, uh, you know, that, that block of time, the one-on-one or take them out to lunch or coffee kind of a uh, of approach that you've used to really develop those relationships with stakeholders or leaders on your projects? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I love the cup of coffee idea. I just I, we we rarely have time to to do something like that. So I I try to listen well. I try to ask questions. What is uh, to find out what their experience is? What is their lived experience? How do they view a uh, situation? What what problems do they see? Uh, have they thought of any solutions? Um, that sort of thing. Of course, not wanting to come too quick to solution. Um, but you want to find out what's in their head because they've lived a whole different world and walked in different shoes than you have. So you want to um, find that out. Um, so just ask him some questions like that to open up the conversation. Listen well. Use good body language, you know, that shows you are listening well. Refl- the things we've all learned, you you reflect back on what they've said. You may even stop at one point and um, say, let me, let me make sure I'm understanding you and, and reiterate what they've said, and that's their opportunity to say, no, you didn't get it. This is what I mean, which is you want that. You don't want to go off thinking one thing and they mean another, part of our communication deficits. So um, those are the things. And, and, you know, I will tell you, after so many years, I try to, um, if there's something I really, we talked about stakeholders before, I try to start at the top. So, Making those relationships with the um, so that this isn't uh, a project or a 
uh, an initiative that we're trying to do from the middle out. Um, we we all know everything we read that you have to have the support of your chief executives. Um, and I did realize I think it'll segue into another question actually, but that was one of my biggest joys at the, my last place of employment as well as um, my aha moments. I realized it was actually possible that your chief executives do not only support initiatives, but they can be boots on the ground with those initiatives, which really make a bold and powerful statement to that front line. Um, that's that's the secret sauce. Um, uh, I was able to do that um, for the last three years in my role uh, as Director of Patient Safety with a, a large hospital system and the, the, the chief executives at each hospital, that was my first step. You know, I just went straight, you know, didn't didn't play around with it. I just went straight to the executives and started talking through it and seeing what their thoughts were, what were their concerns, and, and did they have any ideas with regard to it? And here are my ideas. What do you think about that? That sort of thing. So, um, no, that that's a perfect answer and a, a perfect segue into the aha moments. Um, I, I yeah. can share from my experience. I mean, very similarly, is in, in starting a role or, um, you know, after you've kind of solidified and gotten comfortable within a role, setting up that uh, standard meeting time with an executive or key stakeholders, and um, I call it the um, the hidden agenda conversation. So mm-hmm. with you know, project teams or with leaders, you know, just have that very direct conversation like you're saying, um, what do you want from this? Like what's your hidden agenda? Because if you don't tell me, I can't help you achieve it. But then mm-hmm. after you've kind of gotten all the various agendas on the table, then you can better negotiate exactly kind of, you know, okay, so here's the, the organizational goal, but here are the kind of, you know, the hidden agenda goals and how do you negotiate the right balance between all of it. So those are um, similar, I guess, from my experience, how I've tried to attack mm-hmm. the very similar things. But um, I, yeah. I think everything yeah. you share was so so point on, so awesome. And, you know, the, the, the other thing in the aha moments is, is the power of culture. You know, I've always, I think, in every moment of my career, I've been involved in some form or fashion of, of culture development, culture change. I've been a product of my culture. I've recognized problems in my culture, et cetera. So I've been aware of it, but I know now that the culture of an organization is the foundation uh, to quality and patient safety work, um, to the good or to the bad. So if we don't work on culture change, we're not doing the foundational work. Um, and it's so you've got to first recognize what needs to change, or what is the culture, what needs to change, and then go about how do we how do we get there? And obviously that is definitely a marathon uh, that is not fast. Although I do have a I did have a great success story in the last few years of a of a hospital within our system that uh, did have a ways to go in terms of a a, a positive uh, culture. Uh, for patient safety and, and staff safety. And over the course of about 18 months, they made tremendous, huge strides. And it was getting back to um, our team did tons of work, and I'll never take away from that. But 
that would have gone nowhere if we had not had that CEO boots on the ground involvement and support uh, in every one of these efforts. The staff saw the CEO doing exactly what they were doing. So that was critical. I'm so proud of that hospital and the and the work they were able to do in in changing their culture. And they had with that culture change a 92% reduction over that span of time in their serious safety event rate, which is just unheard of. So um, that really cemented for me the the importance of developing that culture of speaking up and and making sure it's safe to do so and culture of respect and um, that sort of thing so that everybody knows that you're all on the same team, you're all on the same track. Um, That's that other critical piece. Uh, thank you for sharing that that real life success story. Um, Ninety two percent reduction in just about anything is phenomenal, but the fact that it was patient safety events is is hands down the most important thing. It is. I can remember uh, they had gone a good long while without a serious safety event, and when they had one, it was like black was draped over that hospital. You know, everybody. Went, where did that happen? How did how did that happen? How, you know, there was such a dramatic response to it. I went, okay, we're getting there. Everybody is is moved by the fact that an error harmed a patient, uh, even though it wasn't in their department or or in their role or anything like that. There's still it's a it's a hospital team and everybody's impacted by it. Then I knew we were getting there. So yeah, that was that was a wonderful thing. That was awesome, but you know another key takeaway um I think has kind of a been a central theme with a lot of our conversation right now, but through that facility's journey, the leaders led i mean if you had your c e o kind of mm-hmm. walking the walk, talking the talk, and everybody responded, I think that's uh, just another important um thing to highlight for our quality people and for the healthcare leaders that I'm hoping tune into this episode and kind of hear your messages, so just wanted to make yeah. sure we pull that out as well. And and what is our role in that as healthcare quality professionals? Uh, you know, we're the we're the shepherds, the facilitators, the subject matter experts, the cheerleaders. Um, we we should support those executives, those leaders leading, as you put it so well. Um, that's the, it's not our role to necessarily always be that front and center person, although there is a time and place for that. But to make sure that you're supporting the leaders leading. That's I like how you put that. That's perfect. All right, wonderful. Well, let me take us to the next question then, because uh, you know, with your range of experience all over the place, um I, I would love to know from you, Nancy, what are some of the current changes going on across the healthcare industry that you're excited about right now and um kind of tagging on to, to the conversation we just left, but what role do you see quality professionals playing to better support it or better promote its success and longevity? Well, I had to think about this one for a little bit. You know, I, I love reading modern healthcare, seeing reading Becker, seeing what's new, up and coming, uh, where have others had success, and there's lots of um, lots of shiny objects out there. I still go back to the basics and the foundation and. The exciting thing that I see happening right now, if I can talk for a second about um, the National Association for Healthcare Quality and the work that they've done over the last few years, um, I'm proud to have served as president of that organization and, and still remain on the board. 
So this work is done by many, and I'm excited to see the the direction. And that's in workforce development. Uh, there is a um, a study on workforce development from NACU that will be coming out uh, in the next month or so, and it it tells us that 33% of healthcare quality providers say that all staff um, do not receive training and education on quality. So we don't want quality to be the department in the basement. You know, we, we all rail against that. How do we fix that? We fix that by making sure everybody knows about quality and what do they in their particular role, how do they contribute to that? Um, quality is being embraced as a business strategy and healthcare leaders are evolving to think about quality as a strategic asset to grow their business, improve patient lives. Now, as opposed to, you know, checking a box or a process to follow. Yes, we've, we have quality. You know, think about, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I know also many hospitals still do. They they put their patient safety department, person, whatever, in with risk management. And I know that's a common model. Um, I've I've always sort of railed against that because both are so important and so time consumptive. What do you think is going to get the most the most attention? It's going to be the risk management piece. So patient safety in that case often is sort of yeah we we have a patient safety officer check the box to really have a director of patient safety a department of patient safety if you will with focus on patient safety the science of patient safety error prevention etc. Then you're really committing to that to that to that effort. And that's where I'm seeing quality go. Um, quality professionals are stepping up into leadership positions. You know, quality professionals are uniquely qualified to translate executive directives and priorities to the front line and to relay challenges and opportunities uh, to those frontline leaders. In other words, we're bilingual. We can speak CEO and we can speak practitioner. So that puts us in a, a unique position. And when I say healthcare quality providers, I, I've shared with you I'm a nurse. I'm clinically have been clinically focused, et cetera. And that is your traditional healthcare quality professional. But in this world today that we're in, I'm so excited to see the diversity of healthcare quality professionals: engineers, data analysts, project managers, um, folks that are proficient in predictive analytics. They're all healthcare quality professionals, and that diversity of scope really makes for a powerful package. Um, from a business sense, uh, using quality as a, as I said before, as a strategic asset. So, those are the things um, that excite me about healthcare. That as we are kind of turning that corner and viewing quality a little bit differently, rather than oh, I've got to do this, I've got to make this look good, that sort of thing. Then we're getting there. Um, NACU also has uh, published uh, the first set of quality competencies that have ever for, the, for a healthcare quality professional um, that we we worked on for several years. We published last year, and that is that's sort of uh, groundbreaking. It is groundbreaking. It it helps people know what qualities should my quality department have, and and what 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 tools and Assets do I need in this person so that they'll be able to fulfill the role? Or what do we need to shoot for? So both of those things, workforce development as well as competency development, 
within the healthcare uh, practitioner world, I think are, are groundbreaking and, and are going to really help us set that firm foundation to project us forward. Well, Nancy, you, you said so much in your, your reply there um, that I I can't wait to, like, get the show notes for this episode typed up because um, I, I loved everything there to your points about um, uh, quality professionals being bilingual, our ability to speak, you know, at the exec, executive level and the practitioner level. Love it. Mm-hmm. The diversity of quality professionals. Um, I, I will share, that's one of the things that I'm really – um, you know, just personally kind of geeking out about is, yeah. you know, my background is engineering, so a lot of things that I've done have been with other engineers or other very technical folks, and now I'm seeing, you know, the the reverse side of it, more clinicians getting into quality, and I'm absolutely loving it. Um, mm-hmm. So so kind of, you know, same concept but different point of view there. Um, yeah. And then the work with NACU, um, again, from our conversations a few weeks ago, um, I, I've researched NACU more, and just the, the tagline on the very first web page, quality is the work. Um, you know, as mm-hmm. soon as I saw it, I was like, I'm blown away. Like, I wish I came mm-hmm. up with that. That that's, that mm-hmm. speaks to healthcare, um, not just quality professionals, quality people, but, you know, that is what we do. Healthcare is quality 100%. We're touching people and mm-hmm. lives and communities, and so that has to be one of the top focuses, then your additional point of using quality as the business strategy to grow the hospitals or the, the healthcare organization. Um, yeah, seriously, that, that that is exactly why I'm so glad you said yes to be on this show. Those are all amazing points to share. I'm pleased to be able to share those. That's, that's important. That's important perspective, I think, to get out there. Thank you for that forum. Oh, absolutely. So, Nancy, next question I have for you then is, how can the healthcare industry become a more attractive place for ambitious, talented, quality professionals to either start or grow their quality uh, and healthcare careers? Yeah, what a great question. You know, the, the success of healthcare in this country, and, and we know we're we're in trouble, that's an endeavor that we all have a stake in, either uh, we're all going to need it, right, on a on a personal level for us, for our family and loved ones. Um, but it's also it's a great frontier. You know, it's been around for a long time. You know, centuries. We know that, but we know how in trouble. You know, we used to think we're the greatest healthcare system in the world, and really the the only thing we excel at is cost. Now that's not a good thing, and. Why would that be attractive to work in? Because there's so much room for opportunity. Um, healthcare is shifting to see itself in a more balanced view of its purpose. We're not just here to serve patients. We also need to run that sustainable business. And running that business means making sure the workforce is tended to. That supports them. And then that ultimately supports the patients. You know, from a patient safety perspective, you can't have patient safety unless you have worker safety. Make um, you do, is doing great work in this area right now. Focus squarely, as I said before, on workforce development and working with those quality professionals and healthcare organizations on improving from the inside out, training the workforce. That's a strategic advantage, and it makes staff feel supported, makes their work more productive, uh, gives them an avenue to add in um, and, and contribute, and, and that's very rewarding. 
And for the executives, well, then they see improvements in their business model. You know, they see they're not in the red as much. Now they're getting more in the black, and they're not having as much staff turnover. Um, it's a, again, it's a frontier. I, I see for young, uh, young exec, young uh, folks coming out of school or or uh, working, figuring out where do they want to apply their skills. Uh, healthcare is a great place. It's open for creativity, um, for uh, opportunity in terms of adding to a process, developing a process, uh, helping something uh, runs more smoothly. Um, I, I think it's a, a very exciting time for young professionals uh, to get into healthcare. It's funny uh, that ironic that you asked that because I I have a lot of young engineers and, and folks that have just gotten out of school and and they're looking to get into healthcare. I, I'm sure they're seeing it as well as that frontier, and they want to know what next steps to take because they don't have any exposure to healthcare. Um, so I, I think it's a it's a brave new world out there. So it's just right for opportunity uh, for those young professionals to get into healthcare. You know, we all want to think that what we're doing is, uh, you know, to be cliche, but I can't think of a better way to say it, is helping others. You know, that, that gives one a sense of purpose in their daily grind. Am I actually, you know, just, you know, shuffling papers here, or am I actually doing something meaningful that's helping others? So healthcare's just got that written all over it, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And let me ask you this. Would you have any just maybe one or two tips or pointers for a working professional that's not currently in healthcare but wanted to try to get in? So, you know, not a newbie coming out of school, but, you know, somebody who's probably been, you know, working at, uh, I don't know, a GE or, you know, some somewhere very technical but has a has a great quality foundation but no healthcare experience. Any approaches to how could they even translate into the healthcare world? Well, I think obviously start researching. Um, you know, you and I have talked about, uh, and we mentioned briefly, certification uh, in healthcare quality is a wonderful goal because as you learn more about healthcare, research it and, and that sort of thing, uh, go to some reviews, that sort of thing for certification. When you obtain that certification, you will have a broad expanse of knowledge about healthcare. Now, that's nothing if you don't combine it with the lived experience. So there are opportunities, I think, for internships to uh, shadow people for uh, in healthcare. Um, maybe reach out to the quality department in a local healthcare organization or um, uh, risk management department or the executive suite to see if you can, or sometimes if you're still in school through uh, your programs in school, perhaps they could help arrange uh, internship opportunities, that sort of thing. So you can at least get a feel for um, what is this world, because it's very foreign if you've never worked in it. Um, it, it that's the best, the best way, is to start just, you know, being able to officially, legally, walk the halls, see what's going on, see what some of the problems are. And I love those fresh eyes always because they're going to see things that we never, we've we long ago not seen, that we've become blind to. 
Um, so combine the the um, the knowledge base with that lived experience somehow. Um, take a take a position or apply for a position, something that you might not particularly want to do, but you want to get ensconced somehow into healthcare so you can figure out what it is and where you can make your unique contribution. So those are some ideas. Those are some things that I have uh, seen people do that have gone on to very fruitful um, careers in healthcare, but they started in that way. All right, wonderful. Uh, one additional um, hack, for lack of a better word, that I've uh, recommended to folks as well is most healthcare facilities, at least hospitals or, or health systems within any region, um, they have volunteer programs where you can legitimately become a volunteer of that that healthcare system. Um, yeah. And to your point, legally be allowed to walk the halls. But um, you know, once you become volunteer, ask to be a volunteer within the quality department, and that's a way to mm-hmm. you know start the networking process. And and you just never know what opportunities open up as you know people move or mm-hmm. um, different projects come up for that organization. So that's another one to add to your great list there. Yeah, but, that's a great idea. I like that. All right, so Nancy, you are at the halfway point, but I am going to move us into what we call the two-minute drill, kind of our rapid-fire uh, Q&A session of the interview, but just giving a quick post check to see if you're ready to roll. Sure. Hit me. All right. <laughs> Perfect. First, could you tell our quality people something um, about your previous roles? Because we, we have not highlighted the fact that you are officially in the retirement zone in your career path. Mm-hmm. But uh, would yep. love for you to share, uh, maybe from your previous experiences throughout your career, what were some of the things that inspired you to do your best day in and day out as a quality professional? Yeah, nothing made me come home with a bigger smile on my face than when I saw uh, engagement of that frontline staff and engagement of that executive team and, and other leaders um, with whatever initiative we were working with. You know, you never want to see people fleeing from you when you walk up to them uh, or looking annoyed when you walk up to them. You you want to see that people are excited to tell you about what they're doing, show you their bulletin boards, tell you about their latest uh, success story, you know, that sort of thing. So when I see that, um, that that I can do another day uh, when I see that engagement. That that energizes me. Perfect. And what is the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? And I remember receiving this piece of advice, just like we're talking right now, Jarvis, and I was probably, I don't know, mid-20s. Um, and uh, cocky ICU nurse, you know, I had enough years under my belt to where I was Felt like I knew what I was doing, you know, that you can picture that. And um, my visionary boss sat me down and said, uh, shared with me a comment that a fellow staff member had made. And I remember saying, that's that was never my intent, so that's her problem if she views me that way. And this is the piece of advice. Perception is reality. And whatever that perception is, you're responsible for it. You own it. You either figure out how to change it, or if it's a good perception, you keep doing what you're doing. So that is not acceptable, what my response was. And to hear that perception is reality 
was critical and it was a turning point for me in how I viewed the world, frankly. Uh I I accepted that responsibility and that's that's how I function, that's how I work. Um that you know, that however people are perceiving myself or the work that my me or my team are involved with, um, I own that and if it's not favorable, I own the responsibility of making sure that they do view it favorably and changing whatever I need to change. Well, I, I was fortunate. I had uh, kind of a similar piece of advice from a from a past mentor, but uh, he shared with me that as healthcare professionals that we are almost on from the time that we leave our homes mm-hmm. in the morning to the time we get home um, in the evening because, it, you know, at the time I was working at a hospital, and just the engagement with the community. So it was so easy to go to, you know, the local supermarket and see either coworkers or patients or, you know, family members or patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to your point, perception is reality. You know, how you represent yourself even outside of work can still kind of trace mm-hmm. its way back to your organization or, you know, the work that you're doing. So that's that's a wonderful piece of advice that, that connects right. and, and hits me in, in my reflections. Nancy, do you have a mentor that has made an impact on your career? Oh, absolutely. I've had several. Uh, I have an enduring mentor that um, she was actually my preceptor in ICU, so back when I was a baby nurse. But throughout my career, even now, we check in together. We're dear friends. And and, uh, she taught me so clearly um, the outcome of respect and kindness, lifelong learning, doing that job well. I've seen her fire people that hug her and keep in touch with her. <laughs> that is, uh, that's quite quite a person. And uh, your mentor should be somebody that you want to be like when you grow up. And uh, she's, she's, even though we're about the same age, she is definitely that. So I, I look to her and have done so often throughout my career, uh, even though we haven't worked together for many years, uh, to get her read on things, to uh, see how she would do things, to to see if she feels like I'm on the right track, that sort of thing. So I think I'm glad you asked that question because that's so valuable for everyone to to be finding that mentor. I know people have mentor programs where mentors are assigned and I certainly appreciate that intent, but a true mentor is someone you pick, and they have to agree to be your mentor. You know, that has a, it's a mutual relationship, um, but you pick them because you admire what they're doing and how they're doing it, and you want to be able to learn how to do it the same way. That's that's a true mentoring relationship, and I'm so pleased and proud to, that I've been able to have that. Well, she she must be a phenomenal person if she can fire folks and still have a, a great relationship. Uh, would you would you want to get yeah Would you want to give her a quick shout out? Feel free if uh, oh, yeah. if you think she plug into the show. She's many people's mentors. Becky Beagle. All right, Becky. Thank you so much for the mm-hmm. support that you've given Nancy <laughs> and stop firing people, Becky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Nancy, next question I have for you. Uh, could you please share a a personal habit that contributes to your success when you've led uh, quality improvement initiatives? Yeah, and it's not rocket science. Um, honestly, it's I, I try to be approachable, um, positive, smile, uh, be a servant leader, 
rather than always, uh, I think people tend to think of quality apartments as this is more work they are giving us or demanding of us or we're designing this form for them to collect data, not for the workload. So you really want to dissuade people from having that perception at all. You always want to, uh, how can I help you get there? You know, that's that's how you should approach things. Uh, A, to get engagement, but also um, it's the right thing to do. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to be the person, the department, the entity that um, injects extra workload on very, very busy people. You want to be that partner. So, um, I think those um, aspects have helped um, myself in the initiatives that I've um, been honored to help implement. All right, wonderful. And Nancy, do you have a number one internet resource? or a number one app that you use on your mobile devices that helps you to be the most productive? Well, I'm, I'm bad with just naming one thing, but I'll tell you my sort of my go-to places in terms of all things quality and safety. you obviously, I have a vested interest in that because um, my input as well as uh, others have helped to uh, – um, and not obviously not just me, lots of people to to change that trajectory, to make make you that go to place for quality professionals. I depend a lot on AHRQ. Um, a our tax dollars fund it, so it's mine, and I love the they they're always spot on. I think with their especially their safety initiatives and the safety information they have there available. Um, so those are those are two go-to resources for me from a leadership perspective. I love Simon Sinek. You know, you start with why, and that's that's getting to that intrinsic motivation. So if uh, your leader, your listeners have never heard of Simon Sinek, just look him up on YouTube or watch some uh, podcasts or TED talks from him, and it's very very motivating. He's he gives solid spot-on advice. No, it's wonderful. Uh, I actually use his TED talks as part of some of the trainings that I that I do as well, because um, it's just you know starting with why it brings everybody together. So, um, yeah, awesome, awesome resources there. And next question I have for you, but I, I already think I know where you're going to go with this. Um, <laughs> but could you please share with our quality people a professional association and a professional conference that you think would be a value add? But um, I want to expand this, um, you know, before I even let you brag for a second. But go ahead and just, again, paint the picture of the work that the group does and maybe share the website, even though, again, we'll we'll follow it up with the show notes. But I um, would love to, you know, give them a huge shout-out because it looks like they're doing some amazing work. They are. NAHQ, which is N-A-H-Q, the National Association for Healthcare Quality, and uh, we took a couple-year hiatus from our annual conference and came back just bigger, better, and much more professional, I think, uh, and now have an annual conference. We've been having it before. This, this year will be in September. Um, it's called Make You Next, and it's uh, it, this is the annual event for people focused on healthcare quality. Uh, NACU attracts awesome speakers, um, uh, name uh, keynote speakers, and uh, it helps attendees to adapt to the quality environment today. 
I mean, you can walk away from that conference the next day, start implementing new uh, new tools, tactics, um, that sort of thing to to elevate your um, initiatives at, at your place of business. Um, it's also make you really great about positioning um, the conference at the time for the quad professionals to reflect on personal growth and development. We offer um, different venues for free professional headshots and career counseling with recruiters and um, resume builders, things like that, that um, you can get at NACU to, to help elevate your professional career. Um, uh, so shameless plug, but it's, I can remember going to my first conference when I was, I was fairly new in quality and I worked in full job always doing the professional association with whatever role I'm in and and have ended up taking leadership roles in each of those as well. But I, when I went to my first conference, I went, this is exactly where I need to be every year because this is where I'm learning more and networking, networking with people who can um, answer my questions and help move me along. So um, that is the conference. Make you next. All right, wonderful, and the Make You Next conference is September 16 through 18 in Phoenix, mm -hmm. correct? In Phoenix, beautiful Phoenix. So, and it's always a good time too. We always have a great time unwinding and, and enjoying the company of one another uh, while in a great learning environment. So, come. Love to see everyone. Perfect. No, that was a that was a great plug. And again, um, like I said, I, I've just been really impressed <clears throat> in my very quick and short learnings. Um, it, it's something that I'm just gonna, you know, work on my end to also plug more and more into. So thank you for that shout out. I would have been really disappointed had you said something else. I I, I would have been really shocked. <laughs> but, Perfect. Nancy, if you could, please uh, recommend a book to our listeners um, that they will benefit from, but also share with us uh, why would it be a book of value to to uh, check out? Well, I haven't talked much about high reliability, but that's, um, I think we've probably all sort of been exposed to the term and the work and the, uh, the work of high reliability organizations and uh, entities such as aviation and nuclear and the military and and how healthcare is learning from those the success stories from those organizations to make healthcare more highly reliable. So my go-to book it has been a, a bit and share with you that I actually um, went back and got a second master's degree uh, about four or five years ago in healthcare quality and patient safety from Northwestern University. And one of our textbooks, that's when I was exposed to it, was Managing the Unexpected by Wyke and Sutcliffe. And I think they've had one, maybe two more um, editions since that book. But Managing the Unexpected, it is, it is the textbook on high reliability, the principles and um, everything. It's not particularly healthcare focused, but you can absolutely apply. So that is, to me, a foundational text. And, you know, I don't do good with just one thing, so I have to add in a second one. And it's Crucial Conversations, which is a simple book. It's been around a long time. I'm sure everyone's heard of it. But it gives you the tools for having those difficult conversations that we all hate to have and that we all sort of sort of shy away from or avoid. 
but are, that are necessary to move our initiatives forward, to take that next step um, and building those relationships. So I learned so much. Um, I actually, I'm such a nerd. I, I, I attended a two-day course here in, in Atlanta on conversations years ago, paid out of my pocket to go to it because um, I knew I needed to work on that. Uh, and I got so much out of it. So I've since um, been able to share some of those learnings with new graduates and orientees to hospitals and um, quality professionals and others. In fact, I'm sharing it with a a, a, a women's group on uh, on next week. So it, it's for everybody. It's not particularly health. It's not healthcare focused, but it's life focused. So I got to add that book in there too. That's perfect. Those are those are two absolute classics. So thank you for both of those recommendations. But uh, Nancy, you are right there at the tail end of our conversation. But I have one more question for you, and um, this one's a personal favorite because I always get folks to simultaneously reflect on their past while getting them to look forward to their future. So let's say that you were able to send one text message to yourself. 10 years into the past and one to yourself 10 years into the future. Uh, take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those messages? Yeah, so uh, interesting, interesting question. Um, 10 years ago, you know, you've already shared a few months ago, I did retire officially. Exciting. Uh, but that, uh, like I said, that was after a 40 plus year career. And 10 years ago, obviously, I was in the, the waning years of my career. So why not just put your head down, keep doing what you're doing, move forward, get through it, get to retirement, right? But that's not quite me. I, sometimes I want it to be me, but that isn't me. So I was anticipating going back, as I shared with you, to get another master's. I wanted to learn even more about healthcare quality and patient safety and develop that role of director of patient safety, executive director of patient safety, so that we could break it out away from risk management and really have that focus. So as I was anticipating the time, the money, the headache of going back to graduate school again, to get this other degree when I'm in the last parts of my career. How crazy. What a gamble. Why would I do that? So my text message to me would be, go for it. You're on the right path. So that I would do it. And I did. But that would have been nice if I had had future me to give me that confirmation. So my 10 years in the future uh, is know that you made a difference and help others to continue to do so. Wonderful. I love both of those messages. Um, and I I could see that 10 years from now, if we were to have another call, I think you would still be pushing your learnings and just, again, being that consummate quality professional. So thank you so much for uh, for everything, for the entire conversation, for sharing that message. Um, Nancy, I would love to end today with you giving our quality people a parting piece of advice uh, sharing the best way that they can follow you or connect with you on social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Sure. Thanks again, Jarvis. This was fun, and I appreciate um, the the depth and the intensity of your questions. I thought they were great. They were great fun, and they helped me to, to reflect nicely. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, Nancy Curdy, C-U-R-D as in dog, Y. 
my email is nancypurdy, one word, at gmail.com. Uh, please do feel free to reach out and um, uh, let's let's network at least via um, LinkedIn or, or email one or the other. I'm always happy to do so. That, that's uh, energizing for me, so I love that. I learn a lot while hopefully I'm imparting something as well. Well, uh, again, you've gotten me so excited about just different aspects of healthcare quality that I didn't know from my first sit down with you. So, um, to our quality people listening, if you get the opportunity to connect with Nancy, to you know, share some emails or even a phone call, um, if, you know, obviously if you have the time, Nancy, but um, you know, it's so worth it. You you've been a, a great um, new network for me and a great inspiration. So again, thank you for today. Um, and thank you for uh, just bringing your expertise and giving me your time today. My pleasure, Jarvis. And back at you. I feel the same. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. I appreciate it. And to all our quality people everywhere, thank you for listening and making us a part of your day. Thank you for listening to the Healthcare Quality Cast, brought to you by the Quality Coaching Company. If you love the Healthcare Quality Cast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review. Until next time.